never get tired of a subject such as the love of God, do you? And uh, singing about it, thinking about it, and understanding what it's all about. We'll never quite understand it, of course. It's far beyond us to do so, but uh, able to understand many things that he has done for you and I as believers. I was um, thinking about the men's retreat over at Mansfield Baptist Temple, so I was checking it out. I don't know if it's going to have it this year or not. They are going to have it on November 6th. I think it's 6th and 7th. I think that's the right days. And they're going to be having Dale Atkins and Paul Chappelle. I don't know if you know the name Paul Chappelle or not, but he's the pastor at Lancaster Bible Co- Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College. And uh, that's sort of the, uh, a big college out there in California. And so um, he's going to be doing the speaking. So if you're interested, let me know. I plan to go. And it's always a good time. They have a great breakfast over there. And they have a lot of events. <clears throat> goes Usually it's Friday night and then to about noon on Saturday is the schedule. And so um, if you're interested in that, <clears throat> it'd be a great opportunity for you. I think it starts like 6 o'clock on Friday night and then it goes through on Saturday. We'll get some more information. It's not till November, so uh, it's coming on us rather quickly though, isn't it? Also, I might mention that if you have been asked about any office in the church, if you could respond to that before our meeting tonight at 5 o'clock, that would be a great help to us. And I um, appreciate those who have responded, and we trust that uh, we'll be able to get things around, not only ballot-wise, but also budget-wise for our new year. You realize this is October, the middle of October, and pretty soon it's going to be cold. Anybody realize that? Maybe I'm anticipating just a little bit, but uh, it seemed to me like it was a little bit cold this morning. Maybe just me. Maybe I'm just uh, imagining that, but... When I walked outside, I thought, boy, I better get a better coat on than this one. And, uh, but uh, I, somebody told me here in the congregation that it's going to get worse. That's a prophet right there. It's all according to how you view it, right? If you like cold weather, it's going to get better. So perspective is important whenever you think about these issues. And uh, so if you like cold weather and skiing, I guess you're all excited about this. But if you like warm weather, it's probably something that you're not too excited about. False teachers, boy, what a subject. We are living in a world of false teachers that would seem to escalate as our time on this world or in this world seems to increase or go on and on and on. I was studying this and I was listening to somebody speak about it and he was talking about a murder that went on someplace, I don't even know where he was talking about, but he said there was this one man who goes into a place and and uh, he just actually shoots somebody and kills them. What a terrible thing to do. And he said there was another article in the newspaper where this man was working in a factory or a company, and every day they finally caught him. He'd killed about 10 people. But for 20 years, now think about this. Now, I'm, I'm quoting a source. I can't verify all this, but for 20 years... It says that he would go into the lunchroom and he would sprinkle a little poison on a person's food. And seven or eight people, I don't know how many it was, seven or eight people had already died, and this was about 20 years ago, and finally somebody got suspicious. They saw something on their food, and they put a camera up in the lunchroom, and sure enough, they watched this guy go in and sprinkle just a little bit of poison each day. And Sure enough, after so long, it would kill the person. You know, that's really what false doctrine does. It's a good picture of it. It's not that sudden defection. It's not that which you normally turn your back on, but it's something that happens rather, rather briefly, 
It happens incrementally. It happens slowly. And it happens in a way that many times we have to be careful or we are not perceptive of what happens. Remember, I am reading to you our doctrinal statement. I've got down to number four. This is what we believe as a church. The Holy Spirit is a person whose ministry is to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. To be a comforter to the believer, he indwells the believer, he instructs the believer, and glorifies Christ. These are the principles upon which this church was founded, upon which we stand. These things are not up for negotiation. But the problem becomes this. Many times we can have a document that states these issues and we start falling away from it. How many churches do we know that used to hold to the truths of Scripture and they start to fall away from it? You know, you could probably even do that in this town. You go to certain churches who, even of a different denomination, who used to be very conservative and preach God's Word. Now it's no longer mentioned, you know. And, and it's something that happens usually very, very small, incrementally, as I said earlier. But the end result is it can kill the faith. It can kill us as believers spiritually. And if we allow it to do so, it can kill a church. Now, I was reading this morning in the Sermon Audio, the news section, that the American Episcopal Church has lost about 25% of their congregation in the last, I don't know how many years it was, 10 years. Now, American, you say, what's American Episcopal? I'm not even sure what that would be. Well, that's the Anglican version of the, or this is the American version of the Anglican Church after the Revolution. They changed the name to Episcopalian. And uh, they have very much, very liberal in their understanding, and they've lost members like crazy. And that's not just true for that church. It's true for many churches because of the fact that we are losing, or many times we start to compromise what God's Word tells us. And the struggle of the ages have been to, uh, between Satan and Jesus Christ or between Satan and God. We went through Revelation 12. If you want to look at this firsthand, great chapter to read is Revelation 12 where he talks about the red dragon and how the red dragon is watching for this lady to have the baby. And as she's, and he's ready because he's going to devour the baby as soon as it happens. And something happens and this, you know, he, this great gulf of water comes in between and rescues the baby whenever he's delivered. The whole picture there is, you know, this tremendous battle that's gone on between Satan and God throughout the ages. And, of course, God is supreme and he's sovereign. We saw that uh, the other night when we were talking about this with Satan. Last Sunday night, we talked about Satan and, and the whole idea of the uh, millennial kingdom. But, but Satan is one who was created being, but he rebelled against God because what? He wanted to be like God. Pride. The number one sin, or the, maybe the sewer in which all the other sins crawl out of, is pride. I will be like God. I will do things I want. And we see this today with disobedience, civil disobedience. All kinds of terms are being used for it. The terms I don't even recognize anymore are being used to talk about simple, simple disobedience to any kind of authority. You see it in the classroom, you see it in the home, you see it in every place you look at. And so, you know, that's been Satan's strategy. He has tried to turn people against God, and his strategy usually is, you know, God doesn't have your best in view. God's holding something back from you. And so we find that there's many examples in the in the New Testament of false teachers, 
We know examples. You can turn on your television and radio and see some of those examples. There is examples every place of those who would not hold to God's word. They knock on your door. They give you something called the watchtower or the, the Jehovah's call or whatever. You know, they're out there constantly, but they don't hold the whole scriptures. And one of the greatest dangers, Satan and his demons, is that they are angels of light. They don't come all at once, like the opening illustration. They don't come all at once and say, you know, deny the scriptures. No, he is an angel of light, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Didn't give you that in devotions, ran, off, ran out of time with Jude and 2 Peter. But he is described not as somebody with, and I don't think anybody in this room today has those kind of ideas that Satan has, two horns and a pointed tail, and he breathes fire. Are you all, you all over that, aren't you? Surely you're over that by this point. That's not the way Satan approaches us. He's an angel of light. He knows just how to do it in a certain way. And so that's how Satan is going to attack us. And, of course, the big catch word today is the word tolerance. If I wanted to give you the favorite word of our culture today would be tolerance. We are to tolerate everything. And of course, when you mix in love with that and put those together, uh, it becomes difficult to fight any kind of a battle because we are today very much brainwashed or taught that tolerance is the premier virtue of our society. And yet those who preach tolerance the most are the most, you've heard this, they're the most intolerant. But Jesus Christ was not tolerant. I mean, read the Gospels. <laughs> when you stood against what he said the Father told him to do, he called some of those Pharisees hypocrites, whitewashed walls, dirty dishes. I mean, the list is long. And folks, that is not the way to win friends and influence people. And what did they do to him? They hung him on a cross. The most innocent, most perfect, greatest example of love was placed between two thieves on a cross because of our sin. Because he would not tolerate everything going on. And so we got to be careful today and on our guard because everything must line up with the standard of Scripture. Let me digress one second, okay? I shouldn't probably do this. But I, maybe some of you all know, I have had some gout issues. And I'm not telling you this for any sympathy reason because I'm over it now, all right? Praise the Lord for that. But anyway... And so as I was home trying to rest my foot, and about all you can do is rest your foot. I mean, that's just the way it is. I was watching some of these hearings that were going on. And do you know that they are talking about something that is very, very important to us as believers? And the whole idea of textualism, have you heard that term? They're asking this judge whether she interprets the Constitution or whether she is going to make it mean something else. Folks, that is premier for us. Not politically. It is politically too. But biblically it is premier for us. Because we do not have a living document in our Bibles. Now let me define that. 
It's living in the sense that the Holy Spirit takes it and applies to your life. Okay, I'm going to define my terms. So it is living, but it's not up for interpretation. It's not up for somebody to say it means something else. It was closed. And it's a closed document as far as what it means. The text is closed. And it becomes our responsibility to understand what God said in this text and not to make it relevant to our day and age in the sense in which we change it. That's why we're having all these weird ideas come out today about homosexual marriage, about uh, women preachers. The list is long. Some of the counseling issues going on today. It's because we say, well, you know, we need to adjust the Word of God to mean certain things. And that's where false doctrine starts. We've got to understand that we have a document, and I, I hate to say it's not a living document because it is, but it's settled, okay? That's maybe a better word. It's settled for us. It's been settled in heaven. Thy word is settled in heaven, O Lord. What a great statement. And so when you hold this book in your hands, it's settled. It's revelation from the God of the universe. And so, you know, we have to understand that it has to line up with that standard, everything that we teach and everything that we say. This morning, I want to give you three areas that are a warning about false teachers. And Paul is now moving to the second subject. He's talking about how we should conduct ourselves in the church. Remember that. And he went through all the different offices and different people. But now he goes to the area of false doctrine. Three things this morning, the revelation, we're going to look at the recognition and the refutation of false teachers. Father, I pray that as we look at these words today, help us to understand what you have to say to us. Help it to be an encouragement to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1. First of all, there's a revelation that is given about false teachers. He's telling us who they are. And he talks, first of all, about the time in which they are going to be found. And that's our day and age. He says, now the Spirit... Speaketh expressly. Notice the adverb there. That really adds to the meaning of the word. The Spirit speaketh. Now we know that, and the Holy Spirit would be the idea here from the context. But notice he speaketh expressly. This is an urgent warning. This is not just your, the light coming on your dashboard, which most of the time you just put a piece of tape over it. Don't worry about it, right? Maybe you don't do that. But that's not just that little light on the dashboard. It's whenever you're starting to drive down the road and the motor stops. You know, then you know you're in trouble. It's a great warning or whatever kind of warning we may want. You know, he's saying this is something about it's going to happen. We need to be on guard. We need to be careful. We need to be watching because the Spirit of God is telling us that there's going to be something that happens. So this is like those lights, you know, that sort of blind you that are blinking. And Paul was saying, Timothy, church at Ephesus, church today, I want you to know that there is something that you need to be warned about. There's something that you need to understand. And here is what it is, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Latter times. Usually it's end times, but here it's latter times. The only time it's used this way in the New Testament. And it's talking, though, again about the church age. Now, again, we are in something called the church age. After the day of Pentecost, the church now becomes God's purpose for this world. It'll end at something called the rapture of the church. We've been studying this on Sunday evening. 
But this is the day and age in which we live. And he says, there's going to come all kinds of these false doctrines or false teachers in these latter days. And they are going to depart. This is where we get our word apostasy. The word apostasy means to leave from or to move away from. And it shouldn't take us by surprise that as the days become later and later, that more and more people are going to move away from the truth of God's Word. Well, we're seeing that, aren't we? We're seeing individuals no longer want to hear what God has to say because it's not 2 Timothy tickling their ears. Most people want their ears to be tickled. You know, oh, the best message is how great you are, how fantastic you are. It's not that you're a sinner, that you need repentance and you need Christ to save you. Well, that's not the message that most people want to hear. And again, that's that intolerance that comes from the Bible. But he says, you know, they're departing from the faith. They are moving away from the faith. And the word faith here is a strong term. It has the idea of moving oneself away from it. Something that is now accepted. Something that is no longer believed. It reminds me of Galatians. Remember Galatians chapter 1? We studied that not too long ago. Where he says, um, he says, if an angel would teach to you, I'm going to paraphrase, if an angel would give to you another gospel, then that which I have preached, let him be anathema, accursed. Even an angel would appear from heaven and preach something. It would have to line up with this revealed word that God has given to us. And so he says, don't let that be something that influences the way you think. He says, many today are departing from the truth, the faith, the body of truth. And it's amazing how far or how fast we can fall away from doctrine. You know, sometimes it's purposeful. I've said this before. I'm amazed sometimes how, how some people's positions change as their children start to participate in certain activities. And I'm not talking about good activities. You know, if something happens in their home, all of a sudden it seems like this becomes okay. <laughs> Used to be it wasn't. We've got to be careful that we don't start adapting the Word of God to meet our situations making it mean whatever we want it to mean. It's not a flexible book. No, it's something that we have to be careful of. And so Paul here is putting much emphasis on character. That's what this book really is about, is the character of a person. Remember that with the leadership? It's all about that. It's not so much what they do, it's who they are. And so their time, but notice their source, and that would be the last part of verse 1, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Ooh, it even sounds nasty, doesn't it? Doctrines of devils, or we'd probably use the word demons. These are ones who draw people away, and they sound so convincing. They want individuals to wander away from the truth. They want individuals to say, well, you know, are you sure about that? Are you sure God is saying that? I mean... It's not going to hurt to violate this or that. I mean, you know, we got to be careful. We're going to turn off. You know, we need to understand. You know, we need to go, and, 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 and there's churches today who go to the bar, and they have all those things with them, and, and they say, well, we're going to wait. No, it's not, that's, that's not what God's Word teaches. we got to be separate. And the seducing spirits is the idea of saying, well, go ahead and indulge yourself. 
go ahead and just do what you want. I mean, God isn't going to, does he really? No, this is, we, we got to be careful. Doctrine of demons is not doctrines about demons, but it's doctrines that demons teach. And we got to be careful of those too. And again, one of the greatest age that we live in is called humanistic. I don't know if that's even relevant anymore. You know, we're probably past that term. But the whole idea is, you know, sort of fulfill what you want. Do what you want. Take care of your own self idea. That's why we are reaping what we're reaping today with these riots and all this civil disobedience is because nobody's going to tell me what to do. And it's the authority's fault. It's not my fault. It's the authorities who are the, who are the problem. If they wouldn't make those rules, then I wouldn't violate. Isn't, isn't that a loopy way to think? And yet, that's the way we're, no, not us, but editorially, we are thinking today. And we're seeing the results of all of this. So the source is, take care of yourself. Do, do what you want. Enjoy life. It only goes around once. Grab for the gusto, all the, all the, all the different you know, commercials you want to think about. That's basically what marketing is for individuals today. So he says, after he tells us about them, next he tells us how to recognize them. In verse 2, in the first part of verse 3, three things I want you to notice here with me. First of all, he talks about their method. He says, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. He kind of piling them up, isn't he? He says, these individuals, their whole purpose is to lead individuals astray. Now, the devotions I gave you were Jude and 2 Peter, very similar. And in those places, it talks about, especially in 2 Peter, a well without water. You know, that, that's basically these individuals. They, they speak these things, but there's nothing to them, or clouds that have any rain in them. There's all these illustrations. I mentioned to the men yesterday. You know, this reminds me, especially the wells without water, of, you know, the old Western picture. I mean, you know, the guys out there in the desert. And he's out there, and he, he, he hasn't had something to drink for about three or four days. And, I mean, his tongue is, his tongue is parched. And, and he's, he's, he's just beside himself. He can't really make it. And he finally sees that well up there. And he goes up there, and as he looks in the well, it's dry. Isn't that terrible? I mean, where there should be some, something to sustain him, all it is is just dry dust. That's sort of, he's talking about these false teachers' message. There's no answers. There's no comfort. There's no substance there. Because whenever you hear these things, it may make you feel good. It may have a great effect on your emotion. But does it really satisfy the longing of our souls? And I think there's one place today that we are seeing this idea of lies of hypocrisy is what we read. Watch the Christian book. Well, we don't have a Christian bookstores anymore, do we? Oh, I do get them online now, I guess. But, you know, some of the stuff that's out there, phenomenal, of how, of how unbiblical it is. And yet, if somebody uses the word Jesus Christ, then everything seems to be okay. No, it has to line up with Scripture constantly. The other area, I would say, is music. You know, you get this great high feeling. And yet... Simply using the word Christ one time in the song does not make it Christian. 
it has to line up with Scripture. That's the songs we're singing. I mean, boy, you know, about Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and what it's all about. And we got to be careful that we don't use these things and allow them to somehow make us have a, a good feeling and, and, and promote our emotions, but then not have any kind of answers for our souls. I'm concerned. Because we are emotional beings. All of us are. And we can have our emotions aroused. And you can feel good about something for a few days, and then pretty soon it just doesn't sound so good anymore. But God's Word always satisfies the longing of the heart. You've heard it said, you know, anytime I want to buy something, especially something large, you can ask my wife, my son, my daughter, my mother. My, my philosophy is, and my wife don't always like this, that you don't do it the day you see it. You wait the second day anyway. I'm amazed how much things do... I don't know if that's the grammar's right or not. I'm amazed how things don't look nearly as well the second day as they did the first day. And there's that salesman. I won't mention any names in the church this morning. But there's that salesman telling you that if you don't buy this, you're going to be left behind. And if you just put down a few dollars, use your credit card and put down a couple of bucks... And we'll hold it for you because there's three people out here in the world, who, three people out here in this community who want this. If you don't get it now, you're going to lose it. Anybody else ever heard that before? We've got to be careful of that kind of stuff. And so he's telling us here, lies and hypocrisy. And boy, I don't even bring politics up. Hypocrisy? Oh, my word. Let's just drop it there, right? The method is lies of hypocrisy. Secondly, their motivation is having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This is the fourth time the word conscience has been mentioned in the book of 1 Timothy. Let me review them with you. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, good conscience. Back in chapter 1, verse 19, good conscience. Back in chapter 2, verse, I'm sorry, 3, verse 9, pure conscience. And now we have our conscience being seared with a hot iron. Paul is concerned about our conscience. Now, again, we've got to define it. It's not let your conscience be your guide, but it has to be educated by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit to make wise choices and decisions. But he says our consciences are important to us. Their consciences have been seared with a hot iron, seared, cauterized. Again, you know the old Western, I don't know why I'm in old Western movies today, but this seems to be so relevant. You know, the guy's been shot, they don't have any kind of medicine. They take that branding iron out there and they stick it on there and he yells and screams, but they got to cauterize it. It deadens it, right? I mean, everything's dead. It's like scar tissue. And he says, you know, their conscience are just gone. They don't care what they're doing. They want to they achieve a purpose. And they want to use you to do so. And most of the time, we don't have it here, but in the Jude and Second Peter passage, it's usually monetary, wanting to separate you somehow from your resources, sort of a motivation for false teachers, giving you something if you give them something. I mean, if you give them a dollar, they'll give you $10,000. I mean, you know how it goes. It's an amazing time in which we live. 
So he says, be careful, because they will, they'll use any method. Their conscience have truly been seared. Their motivation is, you know, they're hardened to this. They understand what they want, and they're going to get it no matter what it costs. Method, you recognize them by their method, their motivation, but also their message, the first part of verse 3. And he selects two different areas to talk about. He says, and this must have been true for Ephesus because he's talking to this certain church. And he said, what they're doing in Ephesus is they are forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. He says, there's two areas I want you to look at and see how this is illustrated in their area of being a false teacher. And he points out these two areas. And one area would be marriage. Any message that downplays marriage is a problem. That is God's plan, but you've got to define marriage anymore. One man, one woman, one lifetime. And when, you, and when you're doing anything to hinder that message, then you have problems. Now, boy, throughout the ages we've had asceticism, you know, the Roman Catholic Church still doesn't allow their priests to marry. I mean, we could go back through history and look at all these things and how it all came about. We don't want to do it this morning up time. But he says, be careful that you do not fall into a trap that says, because you do certain deeds, then you're going to be closer to God. No, we are his children. And there's nothing wrong with being single. You know, he says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you want to look that up and read it for yourself, I mean, that's... Part of his plan, he says, you know, that way I could even serve God better. That would be the words of the Apostle Paul. But he says, be careful when people are saying, well, you know, if you really want to serve God, then you've got to be careful you don't get married or you're not married. No, he says, that's not what it means. That's something that is being perverted. And the other way would be abstaining from meats. Some people take this to be fasting. Others, you know, different kind of food that we are to enjoy. With fasting, you know, fasting is okay, but you know, you've heard me say this before. If you're going to fast, I don't think anybody should know about it. It's not a pride thing. It's not something you say, well, you know, I'm fasting for three days because, no, it's something that you, between you and God. But he says, be careful that you don't somehow wrap your faith around some kind of a man-made obligation. And he's saying that we've got to be careful about these things. And we've got to watch the message that's being preached. We've got to always bring it in line with what God says. And so he says, you know, when it comes to these areas, and he addresses this in other places as well, just be careful what you're hearing. Be careful what is being incrementally taught into your life about certain things. The revelation, the recognition. Notice the refutation is found in the last part of verse 3 and verse 5, and this is very positive in what he says. He says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which, and here we go, first of all, we find God makes a declaration, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them that which believe and know the truth, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Now, that's an interesting verse and a half. He says, everything was created by God. Remember whenever God created Genesis chapter one and two, it states that he went step back and he says, it was good. Everything was good. And it was 
the best. It was the way he wanted everything to be. It was put together in a certain way. And it was very good. He even reviews it at the end and uses that kind of terminology. He says, what God has created. And what has God created? Well, marriage was God's idea. Genesis chapter uh 3, 2, 3, in that area. And, but God was very deliberate in how he said marriage should take place. So we cannot violate those principles that God has. But that is something that God has designed for this age. And the family is one of those protections. Remember we said there was three. The church, the government, and the family. All three are being eroded today. But those are the, the protections that God has given to our age. So he says, you know, that's part of his creation is family where children are raised and they're taught the things of God. That's what a parent, that's why we have these dedication services, you know. Remember, I've said it all the time, it's nothing about saving these children being saved. It's parents saying, I am going to use the resources available to me to raise my children to glorify God. That's why we have this school over here. It's not just over here to occupy space. It's to help parents. That's sort of the um, philosophy called an 08 school that parents give us the responsibility to help them educate their children. That's why I have Sunday school, why I have blast, so that individuals can understand God's Word and believe God's Word. And the other thing is food. I was studying this, and one of the authors said, said, do you really realize what a blessing food is? And I could say, absolutely I do, but he wasn't meaning it in that way. I don't think anybody here would argue with me about food, but he was talking about how it's produced and how it grows. I got my garden, which the deers enjoyed more than I did this year, but, you know, I mean, I watched them come up, and I watched them, and some of y'all are involved, a lot of y'all are involved a lot bigger than I am with farms, but it's truly a miracle the way that God put that plan together where you put that little seed in the ground and I'm not Oliver Wendell Douglas here this morning. Don't get me wrong, okay? But if you put that little seed in the ground and suddenly it grows and produces the, what the seed was all about and God gives the rain and he gives the ability to raise that and gives us the intelligence to do it in a certain way. You know, food is a blessing of God. It's something that we shouldn't take for granted because it could disappear one of these days, couldn't it? But he says here, and I do believe that this puts a big exclamation point above the fact that you and I should bow and pray before we eat. Did you notice this in verses 3 and 4? It's repeated twice. That makes it important. He says, be received with thanksgiving. We go down to verse 4. It says, it should be received with thanksgiving. Boy, here is a good section that tells you that you do have a responsibility to bow your head before you participate in that meal, and you thank God for that. It was amazing, wasn't there, yesterday, Richard, somebody in the restaurant, the men went to have breakfast, and this guy said, are you all a church group? He said, I noticed that you bowed and prayed before you ate. Something like that, wasn't it, Richard? Uh, and then Richard was talking to him, and he said, yeah, you know, we're from Wayside, so on and so forth. He says, you know, he, he's a preacher someplace. Oh, we didn't, I don't think you experienced all, all the ins and outs of it. But I thought it was amazing that here is an individual who said, you know, I noticed there was something a little bit different. Now, I know there's a lot of difference about our group <laughs> because you'd look at us, you'd know we're different, right? There's no question about that. But he said, you know, I noticed that when you, before you ate, you bowed your head and you asked, there's something about the fact that 
God is the one who gives us this. And it is a blessing that you have your food. I mean, we know that God is the author of this. And the problem today is we live in such an entitlement society that everyone thinks they're owed everything, and it's getting worse. I mean, I don't... Well, it's hard to stay away from politics someday. But I mean, some of these ideas that you should have everything free, folks, some, no, I don't mean to be a politician, but somebody has to pay for it. And so, you know, we're living in this time where, you know, I'm entitled to this. I need this because of who I am. No, God gives it to you and your health, and your strength, and your food, your marriage, your children, uh, your ability to reason, your ability to think. Do you realize that could go anytime too? For some of us going faster than others, right? But I mean, it could happen. And we sit there thinking, I'm owed this. We're not owed this. It needs to be a thankful heart. Notice, to them which believe and know the truth, verse 4. And so, this is God's declaration. It's for those who know the truth. And how do you know the truth? Well, you go to some psychology book, and it'll tell you what truth is. I want you to use my 1972 psychology book that I used at Irvington High School and compare it to the 19-whatever, what is this, 2020? psychology book that somebody's being taught today, and I want you to see how close those two line up. I don't even know if my math book lines up anymore. <laughs> because I don't know if you're allowed to say 2 plus 2 equals 4, because I might somehow hurt your psyche. All this stuff is just changing so rapidly. And yet you've heard me say it before, but I want to repeat it again. I think it's important. What you hold in your hand right now is something that's not changed for 2,000 years. It'll not change unless somebody changes it because we are textualists. You heard that term this week? We are textualists, which means we believe the text has the meaning. And it's important for us to interpret that meaning and not make new meanings, but understand what the author said. God is the author, and He's the one who gives the meaning to what we understand. Everybody owes people everything. You know, the whole, this is a, takes a community to raise a child. All of these stupid slogans that we've heard over the years. God's word is what makes the difference. God's declaration and God's power. Last parts, verse 5. For it is, notice the word sanctified. It is sanctified by the word of God. Sanctified means it is set apart. It is that which God is, puts His stamp of approval upon. It has to line up with Scripture. It has to line up with God's Word. It has to line up with what God has revealed to us. We must constantly bring what we're hearing back to the acid test of Scripture. We must constantly evaluate 
the words that we are involved with or the messages that we are hearing back to this acid test of Scripture? Does it meet that plumb line? Does it justify itself to that straightness, that orthodoxy is the word that we use that's found in Scripture? We must compare Scripture to everything. It must be our guide, whether it's our music, whether it's our reading, whether it's our entertainment, whether it's our lifestyle. Everything must be compared to the Scriptures is what he says here. It has to be sanctified by the Word of God. And how do I gain this? I pray and ask God to give me wisdom. And folks, I need wisdom. James, I think it is, states, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. That's a good word there. And abradeth not. I know all of us today need wisdom in how to apply God's word to our hearts. I need wisdom and I need to ask the Lord to illumine my mind because yes, it is living in the sense that the Holy Spirit can take and apply it to every situation you find yourself in. God's Word is everything to us. And we must constantly make that comparison to what we hear, to what God's Word states and what it's all about. False teachers, he says, in the latter days, they're going to become worse and worse. Boy, I could give you Acts chapter 20 where Paul talks to the Ephesian elders because that's the same church he's preaching to. And he's warning them about individuals coming in. And then you go to... Go to Revelations chapter 2, and he says, Ephesus, the church at Ephesus had lost their first love. And their doctrine was good at that point, but they are starting to move away. You know, he says here to Timothy, Timothy, be careful, watch out. Don't let the doctrine move away. Always be faithful to God's word, what God has to say to us. And of course, talk about the spirit dwelling within us. The only way that's possible is when you know Christ as personal Savior. You've come to bow your head and bow your heart and admit you're a sinner and say, Lord Jesus, save me. And that's what salvation is all about. And for us who know Christ, it's always evaluating what we're doing by this word. It's the standard of our lives. It's the standard of our church. That's why we have a doctrinal statement in this Constitution. Knowing that we are going to hold these things. And not just hold them, but we're going to practice them. That is even more important that we practice them in our lives on a daily basis. Father, thank you for the fact that you have given to